that you rule the world with truth and grace. Lord, you are sitting on your throne. You're interceding for us right now. The king who came and died and rose victoriously and will return. We thank you that we can worship you. God, let us do so now. Let us have our hearts postured toward your word, your holy and errant word, Lord, that you want to teach us through. We pray you would do that now. You would guard my mouth from error and you would be honored in how we receive your word for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. We do have our kids in with us today. Um, This is a fourth Sunday, but we're treating it like a fifth Sunday. And if some folks can pass out the coloring sheets uh, that are in the back, if I can get a few folks to grab those in the back. And kids, you can raise your hand if you would like a coloring sheet. And adult and younger kids, you are welcome to raise your hand too if a coloring sheet would help you. If the little kids get it first and we don't run out, you are welcome to have a coloring sheet as well. As you're raising your hand, if you're not raising your hand, you can turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, and we do have crayons coming your way as well. As we're getting those coloring sheets out, I wanted to tell you about uh, some of the upcoming series of sermons we're going to be doing over the next year. Next week, we're going to be kind of in preparation for the biblical counseling class that Samuel's going to be teaching. He's going to be doing a one-off message on speaking the truth in love and what that means uh, biblically. Uh, How do we do that? And then for the next three weeks after that, we're doing another reset series. So last January, we did a reset series. We're kind of resetting again. And we're going to particularly look at kind of what our mission statement is as we treasure, we apply, and we proclaim the gospel. So we'll do a message on how do we treasure the gospel, how do we apply the gospel, and how do we proclaim the gospel. And then we were going to be jumping in the book of Acts, but as we've been praying as elders, we're actually going to do 1 Peter first. So we're going to start First Peter kind of into January, into February, and then we're going to, Lord willing, go into Acts after that some other time throughout the year. Uh, we're going to slowly go through First Peter, though. All right. I thought that would buy my time for... All right. You guys are good. And parents, it is okay uh, if your kids are a little moving around and stuff. That doesn't bother me. That noise does bother me a little bit with the crackling right now, but I'll get over it. Uh, It sounds like everybody's got a bag of chips, so that's fine. Just enjoy your chips as we go. One of the songs during the Christmas season that I least like is the song Last Christmas by the group Wham. George Michael wrote it in 1984. Last Christmas, I gave you my heart, but the very next day, you gave it away. This year, to save me from tears, what? I'll give it to someone special. Special. There we go. I have the two specials in there. This song speaks of kind of the foolishness of not guarding our hearts. This guy gave away his heart on December 25th, only to have it given away on December 26th. But that does not stop him from giving his heart away again the next year. Now, let's be honest. Christmas is often considered the season of giving, but not that type of giving. But there's another type of giving that Christmas does speak to. 
real generosity. We see this in Scrooge as he learns how to care about others at the end of the classic story, The Christmas Carol, even thinking of the original St. Nicholas who lived in 280 AD in the country of Turkey, giving his inheritance basically to help the poor, the sick, the suffering, a true generosity. And so this morning, I want us to consider how Christmas really is all about extravagant generosity, an extravagant display of generosity, but not our generosity, but God's generosity. In fact, I want to argue this today. It'll be on the screen. We don't get the meaning of Christmas without understanding generosity. And we don't understand generosity without seeing God's heart of generosity, God's heart of generosity. So let's get to an understanding of God's heart of generosity. And to help us understand the meaning of Christmas, we're going to turn to a text that's not really a normal Christmas text, but I think it gets to an understanding of how we celebrate Christmas. In Matthew chapter 7, starting at verse 7. Matthew 7, verse 7. It's on the screen, or you can look in your copy of God's Word. This is Jesus speaking. He says, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more Will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? May the Lord bless the preaching and the reading of his word. The first point I want us to look at today is God's immensely generous heart. God's immensely generous heart. This Matthew 7 passage is what we'd usually think about and learn about, about how do you pray and asking God things. But the foundation of even prayer, and what I'm going to argue, the foundation of even understanding Christmas is the generosity of God. God wants his people to know his generous heart. He is not hiding it. It is not partially generous. He is not reluctantly generous. He is immensely and immeasurably generous. And I love the illustration that Jesus gives in Matthew chapter 7 to show us the generosity of God. Verse 9, which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? The rhetorical answer is no one. A father would not do that. Now, you might automatically be thinking what I'm thinking. Well, we know there's bad dads out there. And so some dad somewhere has done the stone thing. Here, son, here's a stone. But the overarching thought here is that a dad is going to provide for his son. He's going to provide food to eat. Even some bad dads do a really good job of providing food for their kids. But God is not an evil dad. And this father is the best father ever. And so he is one who provides. That's what Jesus is arguing. And the illustration continues. Or if he, the son, asks for fish... The father will give him a serpent. We know again, Jesus is showing there's a common grace that a father will not be tricky with his son and give him something that will actually hurt him. A dad isn't going to have his kid ask for water and he gives gives poison instead. So here's the idea. God is not going to give a stone something useless when the son needs food. God is also not going to give a serpent something harmful when the son needs nourishment. 
Here's the idea again. God is generous. The text continues. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? If fathers who are sinners know how to give good Christmas gifts to their kids to enjoy, how much more? And that's kind of the idea here. How much more will the Father who is in heaven give? God's generosity is not something he has to conjure up. It's not something he needs to grow in. It is part of who he is. God's generosity is abundant. It's overflowing and it's full. We saw this when we walked through the book of Ephesians. Ephesians 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with what? Every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. You might be thinking, okay, well, what are those spiritual blessings? I'm glad you asked, because Ephesians 1 continues to show that. We are chosen in Christ. We are loved in Christ. We are predestined in Christ. We are adopted in Christ. We are forgiven in Christ. We're given wisdom in Christ, and we have the inheritance of the Holy Spirit. Every spiritual blessing. Blessing. Andrew Wilson, in his excellent book, Spirit and Sacrament, talks about Jesus' parables and the generosity and the heart of generosity that is shown in the parables of Jesus. He says this His parables, talking about Jesus' parables, strikingly reinforce the picture of God as an irrepressible giver, even when they are not mainly about God. Once there was a farmer who scattered seed so liberally that most of it didn't take root. Once there was a king who gave remittance for a debt of 10,000 talents. Once there was a vineyard owner who gave people far more than they, their work was worth. Once there was a father who gave away half of his estate to his rebellious son and then gave him a feast when he came crawling back, having wasted it all. Once there was a nobleman who gave three months wages to all his employees and then went to on a foreign trip. Once there was a landowner who gave his vineyard over to tenants. Once there was a king who gave wedding invitations to every undesirable in the county. In fact, it is hard to think of a parable in which the God figure features and he is not characterized by giving away far more than he should. And then Andrew Wilson continues. There's also a certain extravagance verging on wastefulness to his Jesus's miracles how many weddings have you been to where they needed 150 gallons of fine wine? Why can't a person who can uh, miraculously multiply bread and fish also count so as to not end up over-catering by 12 baskets? Why? Why do we see that throughout the Gospels so clearly in Jesus' parables and in Jesus' miracles? Because God wants us to know his heart, his generosity, his love, his overflowing heart of gener generosity toward his children, his lavish love, his giving every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies to his children. 
Listen to what Jesus says about how we're even repaid by him if we show a little bit amount of generosity toward others. In Luke 6, 38, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So here's the idea of this verse. If you are going to purchase grain for your family back then, you want equal scales. You don't want false measurements. There's honesty here. And he says, as as you have some generosity, it's just going to flow back. And he's like, it's pressed down. It's running over in your lap. There's not unjust weights here. In our modern day, we know what this looks like. You go to the store and you bag, you get a bag of chips and you have this big bag of chips like this. And then you get home and you open it and you're like, where did it all go? Like, it's like a third of chips and the rest air. I do not want to buy two thirds a bag of air especially if they're wonderful kettle chips and you're just like, smell those, it's fantastic. That's not the generous heart of God. God is overflowing. He is full, he is abundant. It's running over into your lap is the generosity of God. But listen to this, it is an unearned generosity. God is not a genie in a bottle that we wish upon. He's not a vending machine that we put the quarters in. He's not Santa keeping a list and checking it twice, finding out who's naughty and nice. No, he is good and he is gracious and he is generous toward undeserving sinners like you and me. And friends, that is the generous heart of God for you right now. How do I know that? Because the very reason we are celebrating this season is the generosity of God. God sent forth his son as a gift to us. Second point today, God shows his generosity most clearly in Jesus' coming. God shows his generosity most clearly to us in sending Jesus. The often quoted and well-used verse of John 3.16 shows the immensely generous heart of God. Look at John 3.16 on the screen. Get this. For God so loved the world that he, what? Gave. For God so loved the world, humanity made it in his image that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in Jesus should not perish but have eternal life. God loves people who are made in his image. God loved those who rebelled against him and wanted to rescue them and give them a way back to himself to have right relationship with him. You see, the world was originally created not broken. We're so used to brokenness, we can't even imagine the the unbrokenness of the original world. There was not sickness and sin and suffering and death. But then in Genesis 3, Sin comes in the world as mankind willfully rebels against God. Get this, questioning God's generosity, questioning God's generous heart. God gave a world full of yeses and one no. And Adam and Eve were like, is God really good? We, why, why would he withhold from us? God has made a world full of yeses. So they eat, ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil which they spiritually died. Andrew Wilson says this, the fall is what happens when you think God's gifts aren't good enough. 
The fall is what happens when you think God's gifts aren't good enough. And I would just say that's what, how sin happens. Not just Adam and Eve's fall, but ours as well, is, is when we don't think God's gifts are good enough, that's when we question him. That's when we're suspicious toward him. That's when we go after things that actually will hurt us. That's called sin. So with Adam and Eve rebelling, all who come from them are born into rebellion and actually choose rebellion against the generous God. That's us. And for thousands of years, the people of Israel are on a roller coaster of ups and downs of obedience and disobedience, believing God's generous heart and then disbelieving God's generous heart. God led them out of slavery in Egypt. God gave them manna to eat in the wilderness. God provided a way to worship him through priests in the sacrificial system. God provided an earthly king. God provided prophets and teachings. God gave them the promise of a future Messiah, a forever king who would take their transgressions and their iniquities. God gave and God gave and God gave and God gave to his people. But you get to the end of the Old Testament, we know the heart of God, the generosity of God, and the promise of the future Messiah, and then there's silence. There's 400 years of silence. Now, the experiment called the United States of America is about to celebrate in a couple years our 250th anniversary. 250 years of what we know in the United States of America this experiment that was made for 250 years. They waited for 400 years. No prophet, no new word, silence, waiting. Where are you, God? And then in the quiet moments of an uh, obscure town in the Middle East, a baby is born, born in a stable among animal waste, put into an animal feeding trough for his bed. For God so loved the world that he gave. Jesus, fully God and fully man, born of God as the Spirit overshadowed the Virgin Mary and formed the Christ child. And Jesus lived a fully devoted, obedient life as a substitute for all of us who have failed to live a fully devoted, obedient life to our Creator. Jesus lived out the generosity of the Father, as I already talked about, he healed the sick. He provided wine and bread and fish. He let loose the bonds of demonic oppression. He had the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus was generous with his time. Let the little children come unto me. He stopped when the bleeding woman touched him. He, he heard uh, Bartimaeus' cry, Son of David, be merciful to me. Everybody else wanted Bartimaeus to kind of stay on the side. And Jesus turns and goes toward blind Bartimaeus and heals him. But Jesus knew the whole time. Jesus knew the whole time that the biggest act of generosity that he would give is becoming the Passover lamb to take away the sins of all who believed in him. He would have to die in order to save lost sinners. It was only a sinless substitutionary sacrifice that could save sinful people and bring them into relationship with God. We see that clearly in what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 20 and 21. For our sake, he, God the Father, made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus became our sin. 
He fully took our sin upon himself, dying a gruesome death that we deserved. He absorbed the wrath and the just punishment that you and I deserve. He died and then three days later rose from the dead. And all who've had their sins paid for by Jesus will find not death, but life in Jesus. Eternal life in the future and eternal life that we start living out now. In Jesus' death we died, and in his resurrection we live. Now, friends, do you hear the generosity of God in that? For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. God was generous and gave to the world the gift of salvation, which is only through Jesus. That's why the birth of Jesus is such a big deal. It is a gift that points to God's heart of love for you and me. God's heart of redemption, his plan of redemption for you and for me. Our God is immensely generous and he displays that most clearly in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. So my question is this, do you see the generous heart of God toward you right now in sending his son to earth? Do you see that if you believe in Jesus, you are promised eternity with our generous father? We open today's message with Jesus' words that a father would not give a stone when a son asks for bread or give him a snake when the son asked for fish to eat. In the Old Testament, there are many requests of God. God's people ask for a deliverer in the book of Exodus. They ask for a king in the book of 1 Samuel. They ask for a mediator in the book of Job. They ask for a shepherd in the book of Ezekiel. And what do we find the father give? Jesus, the deliverer from sin, the king of kings, the mediator between God and man, the good shepherd. This is why we sing with resolute joy, Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. Let's stand together and let's sing together of that God who deserves so much more worship than we can even give today. So much more praise than we can give and friends, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, we would love to tell you more about what a relationship with Jesus looks like. Let's sing to him now.